Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, I am so excited. We This is being released the day before Halloween, and I just completed my annual tradition of watching the Rob Zombie version of the Halloween movie, the 2007 version of Halloween, all by myself in our basement with the lights off, just me and my movie. And I do that every year. And, and it's a big bowl of popcorn. Big bowl, big bowl of popcorn. It was so great. I am in such a good mood right now. I'm I'm a little worried that talking about this will make will make our listeners think less of me than they already do. I mean. The Raging Alcoholic, how much less can they think of me, possibly? But I love that movie so much. And I know it's a little extra gory, and the language... Like, I would foul. never watch it with our kids. The language is worse. The, the, the sex is more graphic than in the you know original versions of Halloween. But why do you like it so much? Because of the psychology. <laughs> they actually... try. They, there's two points in it where they really dive into why Michael is so messed up and wants to murder everybody. At age seven. Well, and then later in life, too. Yeah. I don't know, man. I love that movie so much. So yeah. I'm in a great mood. Happy Halloween, everyone. Hopefully, if you're first day listeners, which I know a lot of our audience is, I hope you have a great Halloween. Are you excited about Halloween, Sherry? Eh. Not like I am, apparently. <laughs> no. It's never been one of my, like, big, exciting holidays or anything where I'm like, ooh, that's so fun. I mean, well, it's not, I mean, you know. Like, the trick-or-treating with the little, the kids when they were little was kind of fun. Yeah. But usually you wanted to do that, and I had to stay and hand out candy. And why did I want to do that? Uh, So you could go drink in the dark, and I look like a good dad. Yeah. Walk around with my, and so I think that's actually relevant that we talk about this, since our audience is people that have experienced alcoholism from one side or the other. Yeah, I'd fill up a big travel coffee mug with beer, and uh, walk the neighborhood with the kids, and Look like a good dad and drink beer and yeah, felt like a party. Yeah. One of the, and I know for you, for me, there was never any problem mixing, mixing a child's holiday with alcohol. That was a troubling thing for you. You mm-hmm. wanted some distinction. And if it was a child's event, you didn't want alcohol. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, for one, I just thought, for me personally, I feel like. Halloween is for little kids and younger kids and like playing trickstery stuff. So even as like, even, a, you know, as like a college student or a young adult without kids, I never was like, Ooh, let's go to the bars and dress up and go out for Halloween. I just, it just was never a thing for me. So yeah, that separation of, um, you know, wanting to not mix alcohol when I was around the kids, that's always like really has been really important for me. And then also just thinking of, like, it being dark and at night and lots of, like, black costumes. I thought the last thing you needed to do was pour an intoxicant on anything, whether you were walking bad things or... things could happen. Yeah. And, I mean, because we used to go to this neighborhood thing during the daytime hours, like the early evening hours when it was still light. But then some, but then we would trick-or-treat around that little neighborhood a little bit, and there would be driving, and you would have had a beer or two. And it was dark while we were... And while trick-or-treaters were all over the neighborhood. 
I mean, usually we walked when we got back to our house and parked, but it still was like, it just too much opportunity for error. Whichever role you play in relation to alcohol, whether you're in a period where your life involves sobriety and recovery right now or not, we do want to acknowledge that for a lot of people, Halloween's really tricky and really traumatic. And, you know, I know I've got some terrible memories of my own personal behavior on Halloween that haunt me and always will. And I also felt like in early sobriety, it was a very, very tempting time because when we would walk the neighborhood with the kids and I wouldn't be drinking in early sobriety, it's just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the only one that had a coffee mug full of beer right. walk in the neighborhood. And so you see... You see maybe older couples sitting on their porch drinking and handing out candy. And, you know, every younger couple with young kids that you see, they're somehow trying to hide alcohol as they walk around. So it was really hard to go through Halloween and early sobriety. And I know I made a mess of Halloween, especially the last one when I was drinking, which is a story for a different day. I don't remember if we... I'm pretty sure we've talked about that on the podcast before, but it was awful, awful, awful. So if you're listening to this... Right when this episode was published, then you're right on the, the the verge, the edge of another Halloween, and I hope it can just be peaceful for you. I think that's the biggest wish that I have for people for Halloween, either side of the fence. Just hope you get through it peacefully. Well, and I just think, and it also kind of disgusts me, and I'll be brief, because I know we got to get on with the real podcast, oh, no, you're but fine. just the... It disgusts me the way the marketing has now, like, made Halloween such a drinking and okay thing. Society. Like beer commercials? Like beer. Well, not, well so, like, this kids' event, it was, they would, it was oh, a business, and they closed down. Sure. They would close down a block that was mostly businesses and restaurants. Okay, yes, there were people that were sitting on the patio of the restaurants enjoying a drink. But when we first started out, and our kids were three and one, there wasn't an alcohol like sold outside of the restaurants. Yeah. And that was that way for many years. Now it's beer tents and they took away like the jumping yeah, castle the for the kids. Are going. Yeah, so they could put in more stuff for these to market to the young parents. Yeah. Cuz you know, it's a safe trick-or-treating space and I just it just pisses me off. Yeah. That's pretty dis- even as a drinker, I think that's disgusting. It wasn't even like we're targeting the kids a fun kid event, and oh, by the way, there's alcohol. Now it's like, this is an alcohol event, and oh, by the way, we'll bring your kid. something to entertain your yeah, kids. Yeah, you. have your kids go around, and we'll, and there's like two or three in a block stretch. Yeah. Alcohol tents, beer tents. Yeah. And it's, and it's shitty candy, too. I'm like, if you're going to do that, at least make it good fucking candy. Hmm. Not give them a stupid dum-dum. Because, well, I mean, think about if your parents, like... In case you know, you're wondering you're drinking, if we've Sherry hates dumb if dumps. we've pushed Sherry's buttons, uh, this is this is a hot topic for Sherry. For but sure. I mean, it's like it's like every event, yeah, has to incorporate the alcohol. I get it. I agree. Speaking of kids, uh, we've got our the developing story, our open session where everyone is welcome. November sixth, coming right up, Monday, November sixth, four thirty p.m. in the Mountain Time Zone. So you can do that trans translation to whatever time zone you are in. Um, we, you know, we, we have had, and it's been interesting, compared to our, the other programs that we run where we do uh, writing workshops like this, we have had a less, less response. And that surprises me because when we first started talking about it, 
we had a ton of people that were interested and enthusiastic and encouraging and wanted to be a part of a little committee that we had to figure it out and do it right. The developing story, again, is for teens who have experienced alcohol in their household, and it's an opportunity to write a little bit about their experiences and share with others who have similar experiences. It's moderated by our daughter, our 21-year-old daughter, Catherine. If you want to hear more of her story, listen to episode 200 of our podcast. But, you know, we really, we, I mean, we spent the better part of a year preparing this and getting developing it ready. Developing it. Developing it, yes. Felt really good about it. And the the interest level, like a lot of people have expressed interest, but people who have actually taken any kind of forward movement toward enrolling is much less than I thought. And so we asked some trusted friends this week, why do you think that is? We dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. Why Why do you think that is? And, and I just want to share some of the responses we get because I want to see if our listeners relate to any of this. Um, some people said that perhaps this would be better for young adults, like uh, late, late, late teens and early 20s. Uh, and, and that maybe the younger teens, it's just too much to ask them to show up somewhere, whether it's a young person running it, our daughter, or not, and express themselves about something that's painful. So some, one of the suggestions was target the audience just a little bit later. We're going to stick with teens for now, but that's that's something good to consider. We also launched right at back to school. I thought that was brilliant because I thought, hey, everyone's getting in their routine off of summer. Maybe they can include this in the routine, but several people said, ah, there's just too much sports and figuring out your classes. And um, so the launch time was maybe rather than optimal, it was abysmal was uh, what was suggested to me. Uh, several people talked about the differences between boys and girls and boys do the minimal amount of writing they're required to do in school and they hate every minute of it. And so the idea that it's a writing workshop might be a turnoff for boys. Uh, kids especially teens and younger, they just don't, they're not at a place where they can acknowledge that they need help. They feel resilient. It might be a painful experience, but they think they can push that down and it'll go away. They don't recognize yet that it's not going to go away and they eventually have to address it. Uh, one person, which I love that this person said this, said, we're just ahead of our time. It's just too good of an idea and the rest of the world hasn't caught up with us yet. That made me feel good at least. Uh, it was pointed out several times that talking about experiences like this are scary for adults and they think that for a kid it's a hundred times worse. Um, and, you know, it was pointed out also several times that people do get stuck between idea and action. So maybe, you know, a lot of people were enthusiastic about the idea, gave us suggestions, encouraged us, but actually taking that step is difficult. Zoom fatigue was mentioned for sure. And then lastly, I just want to mention some people said, you know, parents don't feel like they can make their kids do things. I feel like, Sherry, you and I uh, probably more than average make made our kids do things and make our kids do things. Yes. And so that's the one where I was like, really? If if they if it's something you think is important, you just make them do it. But Well, because so our daughter is running this, but also our 13-year-old has... To do writing every night for 15 minutes. Yeah, for, for and, something yeah, different. Something different. So I'm like, no, you have to do it. Yeah. You have to do it. And then when he questions... So I'm not I'm the like, only one that's the tyrant and makes our kids do things. You do too. I have nothing well, to do with it that was, thing. It, because it was told to us yeah. by a professional, this needs to happen. You know? And so I understand like that piece of it. Like They don't understand 
And so a couple of the conversations I've had with a 13-year-old and the the professional that's involved in this, like, have explained over and over again, not over and over, twice now, why is why it's important. important. And it's just this, and I know you've said it in our writing groups, like, sometimes your mind just takes you a different place. But it's, even if it's the same worry and concern over and over again, it writing it helps kind of smooth it over. Yeah. It doesn't, and, and then you can start to, like, be proud of the answers of how you responded to this. Oh, writing is a powerful And tool. so that's what we're focusing on now is like when we have a worry and a concern with our 13-year-old, then they have to acknowledge how that situation, not resolved, but how they handled it differently each time. Yeah. So then you can make a little bit of, of then it kind of acknowledges and it boosts your confidence a little bit. Uh-huh. That I am working towards a solution and I am working towards a right way of getting this. But yeah, but yeah I understand. Like, it's got to be hard because I know we have resistance in our house, but we just say you have to do it. Well, I, I think what we should make clear then is if you related to any of that list of concerns that people have or suggestions people shared with us as to why the uh, enrollment is lower... Or the interest, you know, the interest that comes along with actually taking some action is lower. If you related to any of those items, show up anyway. Show up on November 6th without your kid. If you can't get your kid to do it and you just want to ask some questions, you want to see what it's all about for yourself. um, You know, so the idea is of this open session, kid and potentially parent show up. We go through the process. They get to see what it's like. But if, if you can't get your kid to do it and you want to come anyway, just as the adult, you're welcome to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are. I don't think we're going to give up on this anytime soon. First of all, we haven't enrollees. We we have a small group, but we have a group, so yeah. it's going. It's a thing. Uh, but also, I just i I think there's too much potential here. I think it's too important, and our daughter Catherine does too. She's really jived about this. So because that was part of that's part of her journey is yeah. journaling and, and there's a good podcast too yeah and if if some of our listeners have missing there missed it there is a podcast i don't remember the number where she talks about this this um developing story 200 200 yeah okay yeah Catherine was on episode 200 um so to express interest just in the program overall or just in that open session that november 6th 4 30 p.m about an hour ago 4 30 p.m mountain time Go to thedevelopingstory.org, read about the program, scroll to the bottom, give us your name and email. That's all you got to do, and we will send you the Zoom link for November 6th, and you can you know kick the tires, yeah. see what you think. But more to come on this. We're definitely not giving up. In the way of a listener question, I feel like the scale has finally tipped. Months ago, we were saying, hey, listeners, if you want to hear us talk about the impact of cable news on addiction then send us an email with a listener question about that. And we they, they kind of trickled in over time. But I feel like the scale has tipped. We've finally gotten enough people who have said, oh, yeah, you know that thing you were talking about, about cable news? Yeah, that's a thing in my house. So I want to make that the topic for the listener question today. I don't have one specific listener question. But basically the concept is almost like a sporting event Drinkers come home from work and they have their cocktails or their beer and or their wine. And while they're having their cocktails, beer or wine, 
they flip on cable news and they get angry and they yell at the TV screen and maybe they throw things and they get mad at the other side and how stupid those people are. And it's it's almost like a competitive sporting event where you can get your your hackles well, all up. Cable news has made it a sporting event. Well, hundred percent. Hundred percent. They are feeding the machine. That's right. But one of the things I want to bring up, and this might be controversial. So, like I said, the responses have trickled in. Everyone who has raised their hand and said, yes, that's a thing in my house, it is always Fox News. And I don't want to get overly political, but is there some correlation between being a fan of Donald Trump and overconsumption of alcoholic beverages? Listen, both sides have their channels. Not one single person had said, yes, my husband comes home, he pours a drink, and he watches MSNBC. Not one single person has said that. It is always Fox News. And I don't understand that because liberals drink alcohol too, and liberals become alcoholics too. Right. You're right. Lots of liberals are alcoholics. But none of them that listen to us are. (laughs) But I did actually hear a piece on this, and it talked about how... Fox News, Rupert Madoff, is that who owned it? Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch, yeah. So, he really wanted to create chaos there. He wanted to generate excitement. So, he put on these really outlandish, outspoken... Bombastic. That's great. Isn't that a great word? That is a great word. (laughs) You know, I'm going to call them characters. I think the later in the night it goes... the further they get from news and the more they get into commentary and, and, and the characters just, and the repeating and the repeating yep. and the repeating and the repeating so you're just being bombarded with negativity in a lot of ways and that negativity then creates hatred for anything else that's not that side yeah but that was the that was the intent even though like lots of people say oh no it wasn't he wanted to he wanted to get those ratings and how do you get the ratings you cause this excitement and this, you know, like, I mean, there are people on there, like what that Chris guy used to be on there. Was his name Chris? It was a Chris on CNN. No, I don't remember. But there was a, this was a long time ago because you haven't watched it for a while, but there was somebody who was very, was moderate, older, dark haired guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he's a news guy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. They're commentators so and they're yeah. news guys. So that was... That was moderate. That was truthful. That was both sides. He was delivering information. But he wasn't the exciting person. Yeah. So they put in exciting... Well, okay, so here's what's interesting. All the channels, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they all go from news earlier in the, in the evening. The later in the evening, the more bombastic and more opinionated the, the people get. Wait a minute. That also correlates with alcohol consumption. So when you're sober and you just got home from work, maybe, you know, the news is what gets the ratings. Whereas after you've had four cocktails or five cocktails or eight cocktails, you want to yell at the screen and be mad and riled up just like the commentator is. I don't know. I hadn't thought about I I, I know that all the channels get more and more opinionated as they go through the night, but I hadn't related that to people are also have more alcohol in their system through the night. I mean... We're using this as a little side topic, and I don't think anytime soon we're going to change from that. But um, 
you know, this has reshaped politics in our country. It's created this huge divide, this chasm. Um, you know, we're we're in a, a just a terrible place when it comes to civility and working together, and uh, it so it certainly has been fueled by uh, talk radio and cable news, and the idea that they that there are people sitting in boardrooms that know that the populace is getting more drunk as the night goes on. So that's when you rev them up more because they'll, they'll keep, they'll pour another cocktail and keep drinking if they're pissed off enough. Mm-hmm. I wonder if in those boardrooms they, I mean, I know they talk about advertiser dollars and they talk about ratings and that's all they care about is money. And they do whatever it takes to drive the money. But I wonder if they've made the connection between um, the ratings and the hour and the hour being related to alcohol. Yeah. No. Well, it certainly breaking news, Sherry. Yeah, we just discovered. Well, it certainly generates reactions, and whether that would be negative comments on social media as the evening goes on, you know, being belligerent to you know, and I call them like keyboard bullies. Yeah, like that, and you know, and I just feel like that's what happens is they just pe- get people fired up and fired up, and then the alcohol is just being poured on and they're getting ratings and yeah yeah the chris you're talking about he is a serious news guy his father was a serious like a serious series like a cbs abc nbc guy and he left fox news because uh they had strayed so far from actually reporting the news Mm -hmm. he left i don't know a year and a half ago yeah and i can't think of his name but he did he, he was doing sunday mornings at the end and i'm kicking myself because i can't think of his name but yeah he was a serious news guy Anyway, that's interesting uh, to me. Let's get it. Go ahead and dive into our topic. Uh, we are going to talk about expectations today. I think this is a really important topic. We're we're talking about expectations specifically as people get into sobriety. What are you expecting your relationship to look like? What are you expecting your um, your recovery as an individual to look like? What are you expecting from the people around you? One expectation in a relationship that you and I have talked a lot about is mutual protection. When we first got together, we took the normal wedding vows like everybody else does, the to have and to hold and sickness and health and till death do you part. I hate those vows now. I wish we hadn't. I wish we, we had. did take out like honor or whatever. Honor your husband or yeah, whatever. Yeah, we took out the male obey dominance. and all that. Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, we didn't even have to worry about taking it out because the um, Episcopalian presuperiate has said, uh, "We will not be using those. Really? We do not use those." I do not think of Episcopalian as being particularly. I don't know. They were um, one of the first people to allow females. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I always thought it and was they like, could get married. We just got married there because we liked the church. We weren't going yeah. there, so I always mm-hmm. thought it was like pretty close to Catholic. Yeah. No, it's it's progressive, huh? A little bit more so than yes. Interesting. I call it Catholic Catholic light, Catholic modern. When well, I'm like thinking about, but our but my pastor I grew up with wouldn't marry us because we were living together. Yeah, that's right. That's and this guy was like, I don't care. Oh, you know, okay. yeah. Interesting. Uh, not what we're talking about, but very interesting. Uh, so yeah, so I look at a marriage as a mutual protection agreement. I'm going to do everything I can to protect you, but I'm not just a sexist. It's not just me standing there with my sword and you cowering in the corner. 
which is good for you because I'm not very tough. <laughs> that wouldn't go well. But uh, I look to you to protect me as well. And so when you get in, when, when alcohol takes over a relationship that has a mutual protection agreement, we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to dwell on it, but I do want to hit the highlights. I quickly become the most dangerous part of your life. You don't, you know, fight dragons for a living. You are not a police officer or a fire fire person. You, a firefighter, you know, you have a regular job and you're a mom and you got kids and you take them to school and you do, you go to church and everywhere around you is pretty safe. And so when you come home to a husband that you don't know how I'm going to react, you don't know what alcohol is going to do to me, you don't know if I'm going to gaslight you or yell at you or be mad at you or be mean to you, I am for sure the most dangerous thing in your life. So you've got a mutual protection agreement with someone and they become the most dangerous thing in your life. When we talk about these baseline expectations, that's the topic for this podcast, expectations, baseline expectations of your relationship Safety, mutual protection, that's at, that's at the top of the list. Also, baseline expectations for a, a happy relationship, a thriving marriage, would be peacefulness, honesty, independence, workload distribution. We meet and talk to a lot of people for whom lying about alcohol was even more damaging than the alcoholism itself. We've, we've shared that in our relationship, I never, I, I never lied about whether or not I was drinking. I certainly hid the quantity I was drinking. I would sneak drinks. You know, I would take chugs of warm gin off the bottle in the pantry when you weren't looking, when you thought I was just drinking beer. And that certainly would have disgusted you. So I hid, like, how much, but I didn't hide from you the fact that I was drinking, period. But that... Honesty. Do you, do you follow me when I call these baseline expectations, mutual protection, peacefulness, honesty, independence, and workload distribution? Yes. Yes, I, I, I know. I, I know I don't give you a heads up to what the topic is, but... Uh, yeah, these are things that you and I have discussed in our private conversations as well as conversations with our groups. And yes, I totally agree that there is a... And I would say not even like mutual protection, but it's also a mutual respect. Ooh, good. I like that. Of the relationship. Yeah. You know, if somebody's speaking foul about you, I'm probably going to jump in and call them out on it. And I would hope you would do the same for me. But when then you cross the line and you're nasty to me and ugly to me, that really makes it hard to, to not, you know... To like keep that relationship in a mutual protective state, what? because I I think in my sober mind I'd be like, I would never say that to you or never say that about you or you know, but then after a while it that part diminishes. I think that's so we're kind of even. I've become unsafe and unstable in a way. I think that's why consistency around these baseline expectations is so freaking important. If if you're getting it sometimes and you're willing to protect me against the outside world and then you turn around and I'm calling you nasty names and telling you what you thought you saw you didn't really see mm -hmm. and lying and denying and gaslighting how confusing is that yeah. I, I just got done protect someone was bad mouthing you and I stood up for you and now you're a complete asshole how I mean I just think I think these are baseline expectations and if you don't have them in your relationship then it's kind of like as far as the relationship is concerned 
drop everything and either find these things or find boundaries to protect yourself from not getting these things. I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means uh, separation or some serious detachment or just a conversation. I don't know. But if, if you can't get mutual protection, peacefulness, honesty, independence, mutual respect, and workload distribution, something is wrong. Like that, this is the basics. Notice conspicuously absent from my list of baseline expectations are trust and intimacy. If your relationship has experienced alcoholism, trust and intimacy are going to take a long time to return. You can have sex, but that's not the same as intimacy. And you can spend time with each other and you can, you know, smile and get along. That's not the same as trust. Those two things take a lot of work and a lot of patience to come back. But those baseline, baseline things, I mean, I, I think that's what, if your relationship is in recovery and you've experienced alcoholism and you're trying to get somewhere, I think that's where you're trying to get. There are some dangerous expectations, and that's what I want to spend the rest of this conversation on, Sherry. I think recovery is so confusing. We talk about the fact that sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. You know, okay, great, great. So I get sober, or you as my spouse, you watch me get sober, and you're like, all right, so we're not pouring more fuel on the fire anymore, but the fire is still smoldering, and there's still a huge pile of ashes. So I got we got to deal with those things. True, true. Um, and so the repair work is things like resentment processing and that slow return to trust and dealing with any issues that we've caused to the kids, all of that kind of stuff. But not on the list of things we should be striving toward is for you to become like me and me to become like you. And I think that gets lumped in. When, when people experience alcoholism and they say, oh, my husband is in recovery, for instance, and he's doing the work of recovery. We're doing resentment processing and he's trying to figure out how to emotionally regulate and deal with his emotions. I think we have trouble drawing a line and a distinction and saying, okay, but he's still his own individual person. You're like real confused, aren't you? This no, I'm is terrible. Listen, no, I'm just listening. I know, but it's terrible. It's not terrible. Let me get I'm, to the point. Yeah, I, I wasn't saying anything. I'm, my face isn't like, no, oh, this is stupid. I'm saying, I'm, I'm thinking, if I'm a listener, I'm like, what the fuck is this guy trying to say? I'm never going to be like you. Yeah. And you're never going to be like me. Right. You and I have accepted that. We didn't always accept that. And I think there are a lot of people out there that think to themselves, my husband will be across the finish line of recovery when we have processed resentments, when we're working on trust and intimacy, when we have dealt with the kids issue, and when he handles things the way I handle things. And I don't think they think that on a conscious level, but I think they think that subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I'm the healthy person. I didn't have... The I'm, I'm speaking as though I'm the spouse of an alcoholic. Right. So let me just put it in a way that makes more sense. You, Sherry, are the healthy person. You didn't have an addiction. You didn't go off the rails. Sure, you reacted to my addiction. You said things you regret. You sometimes behaved in ways you wish you hadn't. You definitely got sick from the standpoint of nervous system dysregulation. Your nervous system was all fucked up. And you 
you were in fight or flight on a pretty much constant basis for years and years. So you didn't get out of this thing scot-free. But by and large, you were the more mentally stable person. You were definitely the better parent. And it would be very easy for you to think, my husband will be healed and healthy when we process resentments, we're working on trust and intimacy, we deal with the kids, and when he starts acting like me. Did you ever think that? Um, I think that I did a lot. I did some of that in the beginning because I kept thinking, why can't he just drink like me? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like I thought of that in a lot of other ways because you really tried to push me to be like you with yeah. organization and staying on top of things, not procrastinating, not putting things off. Boy, I'm selling myself great here. You know, not leaving messes around the house. Um, keeping nice and tidy. You're you a know. messy procrastinator. And, and That's what I was attracted to. <laughs> so, and just being calm and, you know, but then I would also think, gosh, like, why can't he be a little bit more mature? He actually has the more, you know, professional job. So we have those expectations early on. I feel like, I don't know if I ever completely felt like once we crossed this finish line, because I think you had different expectations than I did from our recovery. I think you thought that intimacy would come a lot faster. 100%. Sexual intimacy. Yes. Um, I think you thought that would come a lot faster, and I knew I wouldn't, and I feel like you really wanted me to be there before I could in in some ways in early recovery. Um, so that, I'm sure, was a disappointment, and I, I don't, and I guess I expected you to be like, slow down, you know, like, be okay with being slower and moving slower in that sexual intimacy. Um... I'm, try- I, I'm well, trying to think. Sexual I intimacy is one example. Can... Let's yeah. talk about some other specifics. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think about some. Let's talk about parenting. You and I have always parented differently. When it comes to discipline issues, I have always, when we were first having babies, when you know I was in active addiction, when I was early sober, up until a couple of years ago, I was always trying to convince you that as it relates to discipline, my way is the right way. And your life would be easier if you would just do it my way. Mm-hmm. Why do you give the kids so many choices? Why don't you just tell them, this is how it's going to be. This is when it's going to be. This is where it's going to be. Drop the hammer. You're going to um, the developing story on November 6th at <laughs> 4.30. I don't give a shit if you want to write or not. Um, yes. But I was, I was very much more like that as it relates to parenting. And so my expectation for you that was wrong was, gosh, Sherry will be light, happier. Her life will be better if she just would discipline a parent like me. You did it differently. You gave the kids choices. You let them make mistakes even when it was caused extra frustration for you because you had to deal with the aftermath. Did you ever think, gosh, I wish Matt would do it like me? I wished that you were more relaxed. Yeah. When I would yell often, yeah, I, I, could I would tell often, when I've yelled too much. Yeah. I would often be like, I wish he would relax more and just enjoy the moment more um, and and not try to hurry through some of our, our our developmental stages of the kids. Like, um, and I kind of, and I, and I probably expected, I probably had like the idea, like, how can he expect so much out of these young people? Let me ask you this. 
this is something that happened maybe nine months ago. You came home. One of our kids was out. They had their cell phone with them, but they were out and they were doing something, you know, mildly out of the ordinary. And you said, have you heard from, I think it was Joey. Have you heard from Joey? And I was like, I didn't even notice he was gone. And you had spent the whole day worrying about him doing this thing wherever he was because he, he's not a very good communicator. Right. So whether he's got a phone with him or not doesn't necessarily matter because he doesn't ever use it. So you spent the whole day worrying about him and I wasn't even aware that he wasn't at home. To me, because I feel like we're in a really healthy place now, I feel like you have a role, you have a way of engaging with the kids you have this nurturing job and this concern and worry job and responsibility. And that is something you're very good at. And I think of myself as very blessed to be married to someone who's that on top of that. I don't think that my reaction, which is he's out in the big bad world exploring, um, that's developmentally important for him. And I'm not going to sit here and worry about it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with my side of the expectation thing. I definitely think there's a gender role here. When we talk about gender roles, it's not to say that every man behaves a certain way and every woman behaves a different certain way. Certainly there are women that behave in the way that's more typical for men and there are men that behave in the way that's more typical for women. So if you're one of those crossovers, don't feel bad about yourself. You've done nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. But it is in that scenario I'm just presenting, I... I presented a very typical man role. Okay. Joey hasn't been around, but I don't know where he is, and I assume you know, and I assume everything's fine. So in that situation... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you look at the way I behaved, and do you think my husband is a piece of <laughs> shit? Uh, I probably was like, you didn't even notice. Right. If this had been during drinking days, you would have been off the walls insane about needing to know... Every time they moved location, if they moved from one block at a friend's house to the other friend's house on a different block, you would have needed to know. Big time control freak. Big time control freak. So that like almost total reversal is um, somewhat shocking in your quote unquote healthier state of life. I definitely think I feel healthier. like that's a little, yeah. I mean, I feel like that was kind of shocking to me and I felt like, wow, like you'd didn't even pay any attention because you're so, like, absorbed in whatever you were doing. So I guess there was a little bit of, like, you're kind of selfish. Yeah. And you didn't even notice your child was gone. Yeah. And obviously you're not paying attention to what I'm communicating to you because I told you what was going on. And the retention, even though it was, like, the day before I told you what was going to happen, the retention of what I told you. So sometimes in those situations, I am like, it would be nice if you were to pay a little more attention to what's going on here in the household. But I think because I'm here, you're like, oh, she's going to pay attention. Now, if we got a call, and this has actually happened, if we got a call and the caller said, Joey was skateboarding and he got hit by a car, you know that I would spring up and I'd be and out the did. door in half a second, dressed or not dressed, appropriately yes. dressed or not dressed, and I would be on the scene. For sure. So, so I guess... The so, question is, have you gained a level of comfort with the fact that you and I have different parenting roles? Again, I think very much gender related. Uh, and are you able to say the fact that you don't sit there and worry every second 
um, that doesn't make you a bad father, Matt. And because I and, and I can say, Sherry, the fact that you do worry every second, I used to say, what's wrong with you? Like, let it go. Um, why are you so worried? I used to think you need to, to be my way, do things my way. But now I look at it like I'm so blessed that I've got a wife that has this level of concern. Are you able to respect the differences without it making you mad that I'm not meeting your expectations for being just like you? Yeah. I think that, I think you're not understanding what I'm saying. And it's, this is like just, well, hello, welcome to couples counseling, Matt and Sherry. Here you go. You used to be such a control freak. I know, but that it drove me nuts. So I am. So I'm like, so now I appreciate though, that you have relaxed a little bit. Occasionally it'll creep in. Then I'll be like, I wish you'd pay more attention, but then I guess I'm here paying attention for us. And that's fine. I don't hold any grudges. I'm not mad about it. I mean, yeah. like, the fact that you didn't know where he was. I mean, and I guess sometimes when you, like, just a moment ago you said, and then you worry all the time, Sherry. I don't I don't worry all the time. In that scenario, that particular day, whatever was going on, you were I mean, I, I probably just said, it's been a while and he's not answering the text, you know, because I needed to know something. But, I mean, yeah, so I guess I feel like... I just, I know that... I don't care. It doesn't bother me that you have flipped your parenting style to be in a healthier place with it. And no, I'm not expecting you to be like me. No, I'm not mad about that. Yeah. That's, I think that's the more important piece of this. Because I think we do meet a lot of people where they think what recovery means is when he starts acting like me. And that ain't going to happen. He can be as healthy as he wants to be, and he's not going to start acting like you. Did you feel like that was something I was giving you uh, messages in early sobriety for you? No. I think that we have both had times where our expectation was you'd be a better human, you'd be a better adult, you'd be a better spouse, you'd be a better parent if you acted like me. And so rather than accepting that people are different, we had... Uh, unrealistic expectations. Let me give you another example. Because I don't think we're on the same page. Yeah, I, I just felt like I answered it first off. Like, no, I don't expect you to be like me parenting. Sometimes I think. But I think that's okay for me to be like, oh, but then it's like overall, in general, you're a great dad. Yes, you would be well, there in a heartbeat. I'm not saying this because I want accolades you know, for me. Well, I know dad. that, but I'm just saying, like, you would be there in a different way than there, I'm there. And there that's fine. There are a lot of people who think... If my husband doesn't sit there and pine and worry about our kids, then he hasn't recovered yet. He is still a dry drunk. He is still dealing with alcoholic brain because he doesn't sit there and worry, worry, worry about our kids. When is he ever going to get healthy? And what I'm here to say is that's not, that is not the um, defining characteristic of healthy. It might be healthy for you, but it doesn't make it healthy for me. Recovery doesn't mean we're going to be the same. And so maybe you and I have just never struggled with it to the degree that I think that that there are couples out there that struggle with it. And so maybe you're having trouble. We're having trouble getting on the same page about this. Um, Let's talk about the love languages. That comes out of left field. You didn't expect me to say that next, did you? Sure, I didn't expect you to say that. I have not been a fan of the, the, the concept of the love languages 
for a long time, and I'm kind of figuring out why. Now, you, we both, I think I skimmed and you read the Love Languages book by Gary you, Chapman, right? You read both of them. You did the teen one or kid one and the couples one. You read them more than I. I didn't read the kid one. I didn't. What? I didn't read a teen love languages book. I don't know. I thought you had one that was like, we had one for the kids for a while. Well, we might have had one for the kids, but I didn't I read. thought you read What are the love languages? Do you remember? Um, Gift words giving? of affirmation, because that's your big, big, big one. Okay. That's why I hated that. Because you, because it is not yours? Is that why? It's not mine. I don't give a fuck what you say about <laughs> how great my meal is. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but you would be like, oh, I have to have that affirmation um physical touch gift giving time quality time yep gift giving yeah okay well you, you just, didn't acknowledge it so i'm I sorry to make sure that i'm just going. thinking are there four or there are five there's five oh really well yeah let's just stick with those four for now the the thing I don't like about the concept of love languages is that we're supposed to read this book and I'm supposed to understand what my love languages are and I'm supposed to understand what yours are. You're supposed to do the same thing. You're supposed to understand mine and understand yours. If we have one in common, great. Let's spend a lot of time in that. So if it's um, time together, right? Quality time. Let's spend lots of quality time together because that really fills my bucket and that really fills your bucket. If we don't have ones in common or if we have other ones that are important to us that are not the same, then the, the concept as I understand it of the love languages is I'm supposed to spend time trying to do your thing to make you feel better or to strengthen the relationship, however it's worded. And you're supposed to spend time. So for instance, like you said, so, so uh, definitively... Words of affirmation. I wish people could see the face you're making right now. So you're not a fan of words of affirmation. So you're supposed to make an extra effort to give words of affirmation because you know that that's what fills my bucket. And then you'll be speaking my love language and I'll love you more. I reject that. Maybe I reject that because I'm never going to get it. And so I've got to come up with an I alternative. I remember we were trying, and you're like, if you would just try. And I'm like, I am trying. I can't think of anything. It's not because you're a dick. I just don't think of nice things to say. Thank just you for- so we can be clear, you just said I can't think. I'm trying. I can't think of anything nice to say to you. <laughs> there was always like, thank you for taking out the trash. Ooh, I like the way you take out the trash. How do you say that? How do you say that? The trash okay. is your man job. <laughs> you should take it out. Like I, That's all I can hear in my head. Oh, good job unloading the dishwasher. Now let me tell you how you loaded it wrong. <laughs> okay, so we we suck. Okay, and then I think you like to receive gifts, right? quality gifts. Right, but you like to receive gifts. That's yeah, one of your give, love languages. Well, I, let's just say, I had like three out of five that really spoke to me. Is gifts but one of gifts, them? Gifts was one of them. Okay, I hate giving gifts. I hate everything about it. It's partially because I'm cheap. 
I have had very traumatic financial experiences in our adult life, not in my childhood. And I mean, we've talked on the podcast about how we ran a bakery for 15 years. Well, for big chunks of that 15 years, we had nothing but bread to bring home. And I don't mean money. And so we were rolling in dough. It was really tough for parts and I am traumatized by it. And so, yes, I am partially cheap. I think it's pretty common for middle-aged men to get really tight as well on money. Um, But I also just hate giving gifts. You could give me a million dollars and I would not want to buy a gift for you. I fucking hate it. Okay? Do you think you hated it from the beginning of our relationship? I think I hated it from the moment I popped out of the womb. (laughs) I hate giving gifts. It's not the giving part. Yes, I have financial trauma now. But if you remove that, if you gave me $10 million and said, here, buy your wife a birthday card, I'd be like, ugh, really? (laughs) So it's not just money. I hate doing it. I hate shopping. I hate transacting. I hate wrapping. I hate giving. There's also, early on in our relationship, when we were all romantic and lovey-dovey, and we did give each other gifts... I remember getting chastised for wrapping poorly. Wrapping poorly. Poorly chosen gifts. Yeah. How to clean everything. How to organize everything. A Franklin planner. Fuck you. Like, those are not gifts. Yeah, but before I was trying to change you, when we were really young and romantic, (coughs) right? my wrapping was just terrible. Yeah. the gifts were terrible. Whatever. Whatever. I don't even... There have been a few gifts you've given that have been really nice. Good job on your words of affirmation here, (laughs) Sherry. I just acknowledge there have been... But yes, I get it. So gift giving is not for you. So when I have to sacrifice and do that, that's what... The, and you're going to love me more because I'm giving gifts. So so here's part of the problem with the love languages. I can do it once in a while. Once in a great moon, I can work up the strength to do it. <laughs> and then you're going to be like, oh, he finally did it. That's not going to make you love me more. Mm-hmm. When you once... You know, once every 10 years tell me thank you for taking out the trash... That's All that does is shine a spotlight on the fact that you never give me words. So when I get one word of affirmation in a great period of time, all it does is shine a spotlight on the fact that I don't get them. Now we both... Go ahead. We both had physical touches, one of our um, love languages. Well, but it required... Dried up and gone away. I could... What? Physical touch didn't necessarily mean sex. Right. I was just going to say what happened was your idea of what physical touch oh, meant... Sure. Was going to end in a happy ending for you. Yes. And mine was always, oh, here's a quick hurried pinched neck back rub. And so you can touch me. And so it was never balanced. So the idea of physical touch can mean so many different things to what that person wants that there isn't a good communication about it. And so then I hated the physical touch. Like if I said, my back hurts, can you rub my back? Well, it was terrible because you knew as soon as you started rubbing your ba- my back that you needed to have physical touch as well. So, okay. So, the reason for bringing up the love languages is because I think rather than our job in understanding each other's love language being that we initiate and show love in our spouse's love language, so I buy you gifts and you have uh, words of affirmation for me, I think the important aspect of that understanding is for me to to understand your shortcomings. So rather than me knowing what your love languages are, it's helpful for me to know what your love languages aren't and then to drop my expectations. And maybe we're weird. 
I don't know. Maybe we're the only couple that can't do each other's thing. Somehow I doubt it. I think we're very common. I think we're very normal. So bringing this all back to this conversation of expectations, I think it's much healthier for me to know the things that you can't do and for me to accept that. And I think it's much healthier for you to know the things I can't do and for you to accept that. And if you can't accept it, then maybe we're not meant to be together. You look like you're getting very sad and upset. No, I'm just listening. Oh. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, and I... I guess, like, you know, in a place where we are now, when we were reading that, was many, many, many moons ago. Um, We were just grasping at straws to find peace in the relationship. Whereas... Yes, the expectations, you know, that we place on each other, thinking we need to be united and have a united front and and be the same, and that's how we're going to get along so well if we're so similar. You know, that was just a mistake, but that, you know, the consistency and mutual respect of the individuality was what I think was missing from the relationship when we were trying to read these relationship books to try to, you know, get along and communicate better. Because we just didn't have that mutual respect and appreciation for the individuality of one another. I don't mean to pick on Gary Chapman and the love languages. I think there's some thoughts there, but it doesn't seem like it's for a dysfunctional relationship. When I say I don't mean to pick on him, I think most self-help in the relationship genre is about what you can do to um, to meet your partner halfway. What you can do to show that you love your partner. And I think they're all wrong. I think what what we need to do is understand our partner's capabilities and limitations and then lower our own expectations and look at that lowering of expectations and decide if we can live with that or not. We've talked... I almost wanted to bring up the bucket. I feel like we should bring up the bucket. But we've talked about... There was a time when I was in really early sobriety, I believe. Or maybe I was still drinking. I don't remember. But we were doing yard work together and you went and got a... what? Did you get a plastic bag and I wanted to use a paper bag? And Do you remember what I'm talking about? Really yeah. irritated you. Yeah. Did you get a plastic bag? I got a paper bag. You got a paper we were compostable putting, bag yeah, that we usually we use for yard, leaves. Yeah, we were putting yard waste in it. And Not I, just leaves, like fall leaves, because for I mean, it was just, you know, yard waste. One reason or the other, I suggested you go use a paper, plastic bag instead of a paper bag. And that was just like a straw that breaks the camel's back thing. You had had enough of my suggestions and you lost your shit over that, right? Yeah. What if I had just looked up and seen what you were doing and said, oh, whatever. She can do it however she wants to do it. You weren't meeting my expectation, so I came up and told you that. And I think rather than me trying to get your expect my expectations in line with your behavior or pardon me try to get your behavior in line with my expectations i think the better option there would be to lower expectations i'm not suggesting that people need to accept shitty relationships or bad behavior again or I'm inability to do the notes. work on a relationship because i think 
I don't want to give. I don't want to sound like this can be an excuse. Exactly. Sometimes you do have to rise up to be a better partner, because we have lots of people that we know that the partner just can't level up to being. But I think that goes with like being consistent, in and that baseline. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. I think yes, you have to rise up to the baseline expectations of mutual protection, mutual respect. Peacefulness, honesty, independence, and workload distribution. And but if you're getting that, and then the fish doesn't get fed at the right time, or the dishwasher gets loaded the wrong way, or uh, the kid falls and scrapes their knee, and the two parents react differently. One of them says, oh, you'll be okay, get up, and the other one rushes over to check on them. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the, again, the kid's out of the house, and one of them's worried about it, and the other one's not. I, I don't think... We were meant to consider successful recovery to be when we're doing the things the same. I think we need to meet these baseline expectations and then we need to learn to respect the differences of the person that we're in relationship with. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's, I say this sometimes, maybe I say it too often, but I think this concept is really, really, really important when it comes to expectations. Let me give you a sex one. For a long time, I would say, Sherry, I feel like I'm always the one that initiates. And I really would like it if you would initiate. And you took that information and said, okay, I understand what you're saying. It feels like rejection, even if I consent, when you always have to be the one that initiates. Understood. You took that information and you tried. And it was uh, not something you were comfortable or... It landed as well as my words of affirmation. And I think that was because I didn't feel and want that connection. Exactly. So what has made us healthier in an intimate way, in a sexual way, is for me to say, she's got limitations. Some of them are because I was an alcoholic, fumbling, slobbery, you know, bad lover for a while. Some of them are stuff that happened before she came into this relationship. Some of them are because she's just a different human being than I am. And all of those reasons why you're different are okay. And I need to put on my big boy pants and say, um, I can't expect her to re to do the things from um, a sex and intimacy standpoint that I want. I need to change my expectations and respect the fact that she can do the things she can do. It's like, you know, we've talked before about you, you can't, expect someone to do something they physically aren't capable of doing. So, I mean, again, I don't want to tell people you need to lower your expectations. If he's beating on you, you need to take that. If uh, if he's lying to you and uh, he drinks till he passes out every night, suck it up. That's what life is in a married relationship. That's not what we're saying at all. There are these baseline expectations. If you're not being treated with respect, if you're not... Um, getting the workload distribution that you deserve if you're getting yelled at like i don't think there's any legitimate reason for adults to accept being yelled at on a consistent basis that's not okay mm -hmm. so so yes there are baseline expectations but we can't expect like for instance what i would really like to do right now no it's not sex i would really like to go since i rented from amazon prime the 2007 version, Rob Zombie's version of Halloween. I would really like you and me to make some more popcorn and go down and watch it together right now. But I know that you don't want to do that at all. I think you would rather initiate sex 
while giving me words of affirmation than go watch Halloween. So rather than me being disappointed because you don't want to go do that with me, I need to lower my expectations and be blissfully peaceful because, you know, I know it is what it is. By the way, I'm not getting you any gifts right now. Okay. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.